Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. Uh, we'll make sure you get one. If you have a Bible, turn with me to Haggai chapter 1. Haggai chapter 1. Need a Bible, raise your hand. We want you to have the word in your lap. Haggai chapter 1. If you don't know where that is, it's in the Bible. It's uh, page 791 on my Bible. Probably not going to work for you. But if you go to Matthew and flip three books back to the left in the Old Testament, you'll find Haggai. And uh, most of you guys have electronic devices, so cool. You could just flip there. It's like, dude, I don't need to know where that is. You know what? You do need to know where it is. You should pick up a hard copy Bible every once in a while and make sure you know that the, what the books are in there. So you can, what happens if we lose our technology at some point? Be like, man, I know there's a verse in there. I don't even know what is this thing, you know? I don't, it's a Bible. You want to know it. So Haggai chapter 1. Now we are two weeks into a series that I've entitled First Things First. First Things First. And uh, we're traveling verse by verse through the book of Haggai taking a break from going directly into 2 Thessalonians, which we will continue in a, uh, a few weeks after we're done, just right after we're done with this book. But uh, I'll tell you what, last week we went um, through the first 11 verses of Haggai, and dude, it was awesome. It is an incredible um, just reminder of keeping your priorities. And I thought like as we were praying through, I was going to finish up 1 Thessalonians praying through, and I said, Lord, for some reason, I don't sense that you want me to go in directly into 2 Thessalonians. What would you have us do? And, and just, I believe that, you know, because of our cultural, um, you know, calendar, our, our cyclical nature, you know, the first of the year, we, we prioritize things. So the Lord said, I, I'm going to use that mentality and I'm going to help you prioritize properly. And so... We're in the book of Haggai, remembering to keep first things first. And um, if you weren't here, uh, you want to go back and listen to the message because it's important uh, to the rest of the book. You really have to understand the first 11 verses or you'll never really understand the rest of the book. There are four messages that the prophet Haggai brings to the people there in, in uh, Jerusalem. And uh, so I'll give you a, um, a brief uh, go through of what we did last week, and then we'll move into our passages uh, today. So you have to get your mindset back to 538 B.C. Everybody there? 538 B.C. I'm not sure what it was like, but I'm sure it wasn't like this. So just think, I don't know, robes and sandals and no cars, right? No phones, no technology. And uh, so you're, you're 538 B.C. You are part of the, the people of Israel, and you are in captivity in Babylon, okay? So you've been there for 70 years, 70 years, and then all of a sudden, God begins to stir the heart of the king of Persia, who at the time, just a year prior, had they had taken over the Babyl Babylonians, and they were now, they are now in control. They're really the world power, as it were, in this time frame, and so uh, God targets the heart of King Cyrus, and he says, I, want, I have a mission for you. I want you to restore and rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. Because Cyrus was a God-fearer, uh, he, he took God's stirring. It says he, God stirred his heart. 
And so we're going to see that's part of what he will do in our hearts as well. He stirred his heart. And Cyrus took it seriously. And so he goes to the people of Israel in Babylon and he says, listen, God wants you to go back to Jerusalem and restore and rebuild the temple. And so whoever wants to go can go. Sadly, only 50,000 Israelites left Babylon to go back to Jerusalem in the first wave. There will be three waves, but in the first wave, when King Cyrus said, you can go back freely, only 50,000 people went. After 70 years, the children of Israel had grown so comfortable in their setting, they had made it their life, and they didn't want to disrupt their lives to follow God. And so what they did was many of them stayed there, but 50,000 went back. They, they, they begin to build the temple. They lay the foundation after about three years of being there. And then you fast forward 18 years, nothing's happening. The temple is still just a pile of rubble with foundations built, but that's it. And God sends a man named Haggai to the people. Now it's 520 B.C. You got to get there. You there? 520 B.C. now. Haggai shows up, and he says, dude, you guys are blowing it. God has a word for you. You're saying it isn't time. It isn't time. It isn't time to build the temple. It isn't time to focus on God. It's time for us to focus on ourselves, and that's what they were doing. 18 years after being captive in, in Babylon, they're in Jerusalem, and they have lost their way. God allowed them to do that for 18 years. He allowed them to do whatever they wanted to do, but then he addresses them. Why does he address them? Because he wants his will done. No, because he loves people. And because he knows, he knows what's best for us, and he will always tell us the truth. God will never lie to you. He will tell you the truth. And so he comes to the people and he says, you guys are off track. And I love you enough to tell you that. So here's what you need to do. You need to put first things first. You need to reprioritize your lives. You have, you're living in luxury and yet you are toiling and toiling. You're pursuing the things of the world which will never bring you satisfaction. You're building your bank account. You're building a nice home for yourselves. You're building a livelihood and all these kinds of things. But the one thing that you're missing, the most important thing, is you have lost your way as it relates to me. And so God speaks into their life. And he says, it is time. Now. It's always been time. But I'm reminding you that it is time now. And that's where we, we ended last week, where God had given the mandate that it was now time. Go up into the hills. Get the wood. You guys get, gather all the, all the materials, and let's start building this thing. And so that's where we pick it up. Now let's read verse, stand with me, and we're going to read verses 12 through 15, where it says, Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God had sent him. 
and the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask you, Lord, now to speak into our lives. Last week, you asked us to consider our ways, what it is that we're living for. And today, you're asking us to respond to your word, to the word that you gave that spoke the right priorities of our lives, you and then everything else. Lord, will you move in our hearts today? Will you draw us to yourself? Will you encourage us, equip us, train us up that we can be the men and the women of God that you're calling us to be, Lord? Come now by your spirit and speak to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. When I was in about seventh grade, my, my dad and my mom came to me and they said, son, here's some money. I want you to take that money and I want you to go buy some Christmas gifts with it. So I went down the street from my house to a place called West Park Plaza in Billings, Montana. And I walked through stores and I'm looking for gifts and all of these kind of things. And I walked into a Hallmark store. Everybody went to a Hallmark store before? Anybody been there? They're pretty cool. They got all kinds of little trinkets and gifts and cards and all kinds of stuff. So I'm in there like, whoa, this is like the mecca of Christmas presents. I might be able to get everything here at once. And I, as I'm perusing through the store, I find myself gravitating towards the stuffed animal aisle. And one particular stuffed animal was sticking out to me. And a person that matched that teddy bear was also in my mind, was my aunt. I thought, oh, she would love this. So I decided to acquire it. But the problem was I didn't want to use my money. So what I did was I utilized the five-finger discount. You know what that is? So the five-finger discount is illegal. I, I, yes, I decided to steal this teddy bear. And because I'm super smart, I did it in a super smart way. I was wearing a uh, hoodie with the single pocket in the front, right? And I took this medium-sized teddy bear and I stuffed it in that pocket so it's like this. Mistake number one. Mistake number two, I continued to shop. I just was walking through the aisles looking around for other gifts until I got a tap on the shoulder and the manager said, sir, do you have a receipt for that? And I'm like, oh, for this thing? Yeah, I, I bought it from a different store. She goes, no, you didn't. Come with me. So they took me in the back. They called the police. The police showed up. They took me to the police station. And I'm there 
I'm hanging, I'm hanging out and super, super nervous because they called my dad. And my dad's on his way down, and I know that I may not survive this. I'm not sure. So my dad, the moment, like I'm in this open, open area where I can see the door, where everybody comes through the same door, I noticed. I was there for a while. And as I'm sitting there, my focus is on that door because I know my dad's going to come in there at any moment. And the moment my dad came in the door, he said one thing to me that I will never, ever forget. He said this, is this what I taught you? Is this what I taught you? Like across the room, it wasn't like he was right next to me. He said, hey, is this what I taught you? Just live it. And immediately in my mind, I said, no, this isn't what you taught me. You see, the reality was that it was not a lack of information. It was a lack of walking in the instruction that my dad had given me. My mom and dad had come to me beforehand and said, here's some money, go buy some gifts. I did not walk in the instruction of my parents, and therefore I got in trouble. The children of Israel are not lacking information as it relates to where they are. God has instructed them on exactly what they're supposed to be doing. The problem is that they're not walking in the instruction that they've been given, and that le led them to get into trouble. Here's what many of us misunderstand about God's word, about God's instruction to us. We think he's trying to keep us from something. He, the thing that he's trying to keep you from is trouble. He's trying to keep you from trouble. The, the kind of trouble that you can get in outside of the parameters of the instructions of God are literally life damning. They will wreck your life. God is trying to keep you from wrecking your life. And so he gives us instruction. The question is, do we walk in it? Are we walking in that instruction? The children of Israel had the instruction from God, and they were not walking in it. Just as the police officer was a reminder to me of my dad's instruction, so too is Haggai now the reminder to the children of Israel of their father's instruction to restore and rebuild his house. They were failing, and so Haggai was sent to arrest them with conviction. What we find in verses 12 through 15 is how the people of Israel were responding to God's word. How they responded to God's word. And this is, this is incredible for us to get here because we also have an opportunity even today to respond to his word. What will you do with it? Will you allow it to just pass you by or will you literally take what he says at face value and say, Lord, I, I want that in my life because that's what you want for me. And so let's see how they uh, respond. There's two different kinds of responses in these, these, these verses. First, we see the people of God responding to God's word. Then we see God respond to their response. So we're going to start with God's people. Look at verse 12 there. It says, then Zerubbabel, the son of Shetiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God, and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him, and the people feared the Lord. 
So God, God had spoken, and now the people are, are responding. Notice who's responding first. Oh, it's Zerubbabel and Joshua, the leaders of Israel. If you look back up at verse 1, you remember that it was the word, the word of the Lord that came by the hand of Haggai. Listen, the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shetiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the, the high priest. Nowhere in there, in here does it say, and to the people. Isn't it interesting that when God is addressing the nation, that he addresses the leaders. He addresses the leaders first. Why? Because the leaders are there to be the representation of God and they're to deploy the information that God is giving them to the people. Why did, why did Eve find herself staring at the, 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 the tree in the Garden of Eden? Her husband had the information. The question is, did he give it to her? The enemy deceived her. Here's the reality. You know the saying. So goes the leaders of the church. So goes the church. Right? So goes the leaders of the family. So goes the family. And so on and so forth. Here's the reality is that God has a structure in place. And so he addresses that structure accordingly. The primary people that are to be the leaders of the home, to be the leaders of, uh, of the people in Israel were men. Isn't that interesting? They were men. Male leadership. Now, we have a lot of questions today about how that works in the church and all of that. All, all, you know, I believe the Bible also models male leadership in the church, not because women are less, but because that's God's structure. And, you know, we don't debate it. That's what we believe. Uh, and we believe that God has a great purpose for women in the church. But, but I find it interesting here that God is addressing the male leadership of Israel here, specifically um, Zerubbabel and Joshua, because God understands that they must be on board. Somewhere along the lines, they stop doing the build of the temple. They, they, they just said, okay, well, nobody else is doing it, so we just won't do it either. And now the entire nation is off track for 18 years. For 18 years. If you are a leader in your home, if you're a leader in the church, you are responsible to make sure you walk out what God put on your heart no matter what. It doesn't matter what everybody else is doing. This is an indictment to me. This is an indictment to the elders of our church. This is an, an indictment to the leadership. Are you steadfast in the call of God on your life? Are you steadfast? Are you doing what God told you to do in the first place? Or have you thrown your hands up in the air and given up? Because that's easy to do. I've been there. I know. It's easy. No one else is doing this, so I'm not going to do this either. Are you following the people or are you following God? That's the question. If, if, if you're doing it because everybody else is doing it, you're not following Jesus. You're following someone else. Listen, men, today, right now, 
it is time for us to stop playing the stigma of the idiot male head of the home, the Al Bundy, the Homer Simpson, whatever the, uh, the, the society is depicting the male headship of the home as some complete idiot that lives in the garage that has no interactions with his family, doesn't lead his family, his wife leads the, leads the family. Listen, and now today is the time for that to stop. It's the time for that to stop. Because when God's structure is out of order, everything else will be out of order. Everything else will be out of order. Sadly, the, the men that need to hear this are not here. Did you know 61% of any given congregation in America on a Sunday morning is comprised of women? 61%. There are 13 million more adult women than men in America's churches. This Sunday, right now, almost 25% of married, church-going women will worship without their husband. A quarter of people that go to church, quarter of women that are married that go to church, go by themselves. Midweek is even worse. 70 to 80% um, are female participants. Apparently, guys don't need, really need that. Wrong. <coughs> guys, do you know what you're teaching the young men of your home? Listen, not to make God a priority. Not to make God a priority in their lives. Did you know that 70% of boys raised in the church will abandon it in their teens and 20s and never, many will never return? 70%. What's being modeled at home is being observed and will be followed. So there is an indictment upon men today. God is, God is telling us we have to take our leadership serious in our homes as well as in the church. We have to take leadership serious. It's time to reprioritize and make God first in your life if you haven't done that. Today is the day. The message from God came to the leaders of Israel and then to the people and look at their response. Twofold. Obedience and fear. Obedience and fear of the Lord. They feared God and they were obedient. You can't obey God without proper, the proper fear of God, folks. That's the problem with the church today is that there is very, there is little to no fear of God and therefore there is little to no obedience to God. You cannot properly walk with God if you don't fear him properly. That's a reality. This is a biblical mandate, the fear of God. So many people in the church today have this, oh, I'm 18, I can do what I want kind of mentality. If, you, if you've had an 18-year-old in your home, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> you can tell me what to do. I'm 18. Listen, sometimes when we be, after we become Christians, we can get that mentality. <laughs> I'm going to heaven. I can do what I want. It's by the grace of God that I go, you know, kind of thing. Listen, that's a dangerous place to be. That's an incredibly dangerous place to be. I'm not saying you're not saved, but you might not be. Listen, you might be in a mindset that, hey, that, that's cool with me, but here's what I want you to hear. Jesus said this in John 14, 15, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. The apostle John wrote in 1 John 
chapter 2, verses 3 through 6. He said, and, and by this we know that we have, uh, we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. With that mentality, that 18-year-old, I can do what I want kind of thing, I'm, I'm my own man and I can do whatever, listen, is super revealing. It's super revealing according to Scripture. This isn't me talking, this is the Bible. This is what the Word says. Do we say that we know Him and then we do whatever we want? You probably don't know Him. That's what this says. And there are churches filled with people that have that mentality, that think they have something that they don't. And one day, John, or, or Matthew chapter 25 is going to happen where Jesus gathers the people together and he starts to separate sheep from goats. And he says, you know me. I don't know you. I know you, but I don't know you. And he starts to divide the people. But Lord, Lord, didn't I do all these things? It's not about doing. It's about walking by faith and trusting in Jesus as your Lord. He's the one that has the keys of your life. He's in the driver's seat. And you can get that priority messed up, and you can be a saved person in that place, too. But the question is, you know, am I, am I just flippantly, you know, passing that off? The Bible says examine your heart to make sure that you have salvation. There's a reason for that. Make sure you have salvation. How do I know if I'm saved? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. If anybody's in Christ, he's a new creation, right? That's how I know. There's evidences of it. And, you know, that doesn't mean you'll walk perfectly, but it does mean that you will have a heart to walk according to what the Lord says. The leaders and the people of Israel responded to God's word, listen, by obeying it. They just began to do what it says. Hey, God told us to build the temple, so we're going to build the temple. We'll see here uh, later, 23 days in, they're building. They've already gone and procured the material. As soon as they heard the word, they, they received it, and they started to fear the Lord. They heard and they listened to what God was saying, and then they obeyed him. Why? Because they feared him. Solomon said in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Don't tell me what to do. Your 18-year-old probably is a fool at that point. I'm trying to keep you out of what? Trouble. Out of trouble. I'm instructing you to keep you out of trouble. God is instructing us to keep us out of trouble. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Everything that we do as believers begins with the fear of the Lord. That's where it starts. The fear of God, having the proper understanding of who He is and who I am. Now, we misunderstand what this word fear means. We think that it means, you know, like, you know, like the cowering dog that's been beat, right? That's, that's, that's not totally what it means. It does mean to tremble. It does, in, that, in a sense, mean to tremble, but 
ultimately, it's talking about a high level of awe. It's talking about a high level of respect. It's, it's talking about the, the right, the proper relationship. The only thing that you can illustrate that with is really the proper relationship of a parent and a child where they're, they're all, you know, great parents and they, they discipline right and the children fear their parents in the sense that they don't want to do anything to disappoint their parents. They want to walk in the instruction of their parents because they fear them. They respect them. They are in awe of them. They respect their authority and they respect their, their, their position. Ultimately, to fear God means I respect who you are, God, and I believe you know better than me. You know what pride says? I'm going to do it my way. That's what pride says. The fear of the Lord begins to diminish in our hearts the more prideful we become. Because we, and, and listen, ultimately, it's, it's, it, it all comes back down to who's sitting on the throne of your heart. Ultimately, that's what it comes down to. Listen, we need to fear God. We need to fear God the way that he deserves to be feared. And when we do that, all other fears in our lives go away. I like what Spurgeon, Spurgeon said about the fear of the Lord. He said, the fear of God is the death to every other fear. Like a mighty lion, it chases all other uh, fears before it. Listen, if you desire to grow obedient to God, then you must grow in the, your fear of God. If you desire to be obedient to God, then you have to grow with, means you have to know him more. You have to get to understand his position. You have to understand who he is. So how do I grow in the fear of the Lord? That's the question. How do I do that? Here's some practical things you can do. First and foremost, you can choose to fear God. First and foremost, you can choose to just say, God, I'm surrendering myself to you. I, I choose to fear you. It's a conscious choice. Secondly, you can be aware of his presence, that he's with you always, that no matter where you go, he's with you. That's a, another way to, 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 to grow in your fear of God. Thirdly, grow in your trust of God. The more you know God, uh, the more you, you'll be able to um, trust him, and then you will fear him. Fourthly, make worshiping him a daily thing. Make worshiping God a daily thing in your life. The more we get get our hearts focused on the Lord, the more we will fear him. Fifthly, avoid things that don't produce Christ-like character in your heart. Avoid things that, that don't draw your heart to God. Listen, if, if you're watching a TV show, I, well, I can sit and watch Cupcake Wars all day long, I promise you, and I love it, but guess what happens after I'm done watching Cupcake Wars? I want cupcakes. So here's the reality. If you're consuming all this junk in your life, you're producing desires. They will come, and they'll come out of nowhere. You're like, whoa, where did that come from? From that TV show a couple weeks ago. That's where it came from. Be careful about what you're garbage in, garbage out. Se uh, sixthly, repent of your sin. Don't let sin just linger within you. Repent means to confess and to turn away. Finally, seventhly, pray that God will teach you to fear him. You know, the simplicity of the apostles, right? Jesus, teach us to pray. Just teach me. Just the simplicity in asking God. You have not because you ask not. Is it God's will that you would walk in the proper fear of him? Absolutely. You're praying his will. Will he give you his will? Uh-huh. The Bible promises you that. If you pray according to his will, he's going to give it to you. That's his will for you. You can pray that prayer in sincerity and watch what he does.
These are a few ways that you can grow in your fear of God. So the response of the leaders of the remnant of God's word was, listen, obedience and fear. Now let's see how God uh, responds to their response. It's also a twofold response of reassuring and rousing. Verse 13, and Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message, I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shetiel, governor of Judah, and you got to be careful with the way you pronounce that, by the way. And the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. So after God's people respond to him, to his word, uh, then the Lord responds with reassurance and rousing. He, he, he reassures them. He gives him a word of reassurance. He says, I am with you. I am with you. There's more that meets the eye here. I want to draw your attention back, that statement, I am with you, all the way back to Exodus chapter 3, where we find Moses. After 80 years of living his life, <coughs> uh, after 80 years of him living his life, you know, in, in whatever ways he was living, and then he got the call from God. 80 years. Some of you think like, oh, man, God can't use me. I'm too old. Dude, Moses was 80. When God called him, Moses was 80. And, um, and the Lord, Lord talked to him, and he said, I want you to become a type of Christ. Moses, Moses resembles Jesus in the sense that he became a deliverer of, of the people that God loved, right? He's a type of Christ. He you know, he, he's, he's, he's a shadow of things to come. And that's how you read the Old Testament, by the way. The Old Testament is a lot of symbolism and shadowism of Jesus Christ and who he is and, and who he is coming to be, who he will come to be. And, and so here we find Moses as a type of Jesus, a deliverer. He's in, the, he's in the desert and he's walking along and he notices a burning bush. And it's like, dude, that, that bush is not, not being consumed. That's crazy. So he walks over to it, and all of a sudden he's spoken to, right, out of this bush. In Exodus chapter ten, uh, 3, verses 10 through 14, it says, Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you. And notice he doesn't even answer the question. Who am I? Well, you're nobody, but understand, I'm going to be with you, right? So that, that's the way that will work. I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you've brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. So the very place that he's standing, he's saying, God's saying, I'm going to bring you back to this place, and then you're going to know that I, I sent you. Notice he doesn't say you're going to know the plan by, you know, I'm going to make you do all this stuff. And then you're going to know when you get here, back here. He didn't say you're going to know all the way along the way. He said you'll know when you get back here. Some of you guys are, are being totally hindered by what God wants you to do because you want to know now. And he's saying, and I'm not saying you go blindly by faith, but listen, he's not going to tell you, probably not going to tell you right now. He's probably going to give you something to, to, to look forward to, a word, something God is going to do in your life but it's going to require faith for you to walk in it. 
He's, he's not going to unveil the plan to you. Are you willing to step out uh, and walk on the waves and say, Lord, I'm just going to trust that you're going to meet my feet with some kind of stability and help me to walk? That's, that's what Moses is saying. I don't really want to do that. And, and you probably don't want to do that either, but listen, he does it. And God does exactly what he says he's going to do. These are what we call testimonies and so that we can see, so that we can understand. We can trust God through this. Verse, verse 13, then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the word of your fathers, uh, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? He doesn't even know his name. What am I, what am I supposed to say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. The name of God is I am. The name of God is one, that's one name of God, I am. So it was I am that would be with Moses when he went to Egypt. And he led the people out of Egypt. It was also I am who then was with Joshua who took the children of Israel into the promised land. It was I am that was with him. It's I am who is going to be with these people to rebuild the temple of God. And I want you to understand this morning, it is I am who is with you right now. He is with you. He promised that he would be with you. Jesus said, even though I go away, I will always be with you, even to the end of the age. I'm with you. I'm with you. But sometimes it doesn't feel like he is, doesn't it, right? Any, am I the only one that feels that way? Sometimes I feel like, I, I don't feel like you're here, Lord. I don't sense your presence. I don't sense that you're, you're here. And, and so I, I prob probably they felt the same way in, in Jerusalem during this time where they were supposed to be rebuilding. Why? Because they had people coming at them. They had the Samaritans coming at them saying, no, we, you're, we're not going to let you rebuild this thing. They wanted to rebuild it with them, but then they wouldn't, the Israelites wouldn't let them because they were, they were, they would defile the, the group. And so they said, no, you can't. And then they created a lot of havoc for them. You think you're going to walk out God's will with no spiritual warfare? Are you kidding me? You think you're going to walk out God's will in your life with no darts from the enemy? Not going to happen. The Bible reminds us that we're in a spiritual war, folks. It's going to happen. You're going to have spiritual warfare. And, but that shouldn't deter you. What it did was deter them. They started to fear man. But look, when they started to fear God, everything changed. Everything changed. Here's what's interesting is that when they said, God, we're going to obey and fear you, even though those 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 naysayers were still, in, still at work and they were trying to keep them from doing this. They chose to obey God and to fear God. And it wasn't until they did that that God gave them the reassurance, uh, that, that God gave them reassurance that he would be with them. He's already with you. The problem is when we don't feel like he's with us, a, a, a lot of times it's because we're, we're, we haven't committed to obedience and fear of God in our lives. There's an order to this. You know, if you're not willing to walk out God's will in your life, if you're not willing to keep him in the proper place in your life, you know, he, he's going to be with you. You're just not going to feel it. You're not going to sense it. Why? Because the flesh is in control. 
We're called to walk by the Spirit, not by the flesh. And when the flesh is in control, it's blocking out the Spirit. It's blocking out the Lord. You can't, you can't have that reassurance from God that he's with you. You'll never have it if you're walking in disobedience to God. If, you're not, if you haven't properly fearing him, you will not have that in, in your life. You will never have that reassurance. But it comes when you choose to do the right thing. When you, when you choose to, again, operate by faith. When you choose, you make the choice, I'm going to operate by obedience and fear no matter what, or the fear of God no matter what, then you get the reassurance. They got reassurance that God was with them. He's going to see them through it. Not only that, not only did, did they get that reassurance, but they got a stirring from God. They got an empowerment from God. He stirred them up. That literally means he, he awakened them from the sleep. They were spiritually powerless in, these, in this moment. They, there's no way they, they could do this. And in fact, Zerubbabel says, according to Zechariah's prophecy, man, how in the world are we supposed to do this? And the prophecy of Zechariah comes, and he says, not by might, not by pure power, but by the Spirit of God, says the Lord, but by my Spirit. It's by my Spirit. God stirs their spirit from, from, from uh, to, he awakens them from sleep to action. He gives them the power now to do the work that they're called to do. And they start immediately on the temple. It, they, we have a date. We have a date when it starts in verse 1. We have a date now when they are doing this. 23 days later, they're walking out the will of God in their lives, and they are restoring and rebuilding the temple of God. They're doing what God asked them to do. And then the Lord meets them with reassurance and with rousing, with power. He meets them with that. Listen, this wouldn't have come if they wouldn't have done the first part. They would have never had the reassurance that God is with them. They would have never had the power until they chose to walk in the obedience and the fear of the Lord. God has to be first in your life. He will not take second chair to anyone. I don't care if it's your kids. I don't care if it's your children, your, your spouse, your job, whatever, whatever you think is super important. It does not matter. If that is on the throne of your heart, God is saying, no, I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not going to uh, compete with that. I'm, not gonna, I'm just going to let you do what you're going to do. I'm with you, but you're surely not going to feel that way. And secondly, you're not going to sense the power of, of my Holy Spirit in you because you're grieving him. You are grieving the Spirit of God by not being obedient to God and by walking out, uh, you know, the, the fear of God in your life. So, here's the thing is, when they chose to do that, everything changed. It's like the entire landscape changed, right? It's like you know in your life when you're not walking in obedience to God and then you start to walk in obedience to God, how everything changes. It's like the sun comes out, right? Like that the rain clouds move away and all of a sudden the sun comes out and you're just passionately in love with God. And you don't really care about anything else. So he gets the right place in your heart, and all of a sudden everything aligns, just like he said they would. Just like he said they would. Listen, the instruction of God is meant to keep you out of trouble. It's meant to keep you out of trouble. Don't look at it any other way. You want your best life here? Just do these things. Just do what's written in here. You will experience 
you will experience bliss on this earth if you walk with the Lord in his instruction. That's what he's encouraging us to do. It's super simple, man. He wrote it all down for us. Isn't that awesome? Like we have a guide. Some of us are saying, Lord, I just don't know what to do. He says, listen, just, just love me and do whatever you want. Just love me. If you love me, you'll do the right things. If you invest in me, man, it will never come up short in your life. I promise you. The worship team's going to come up. We're going to close. But I want to apply this scripture into our lives this morning. It's pretty simple. Like the children of Israel, we too were in captivity. Some of us for 10 years, 20 years, 50 years, 70 years, whatever the number was. It's different for all of us. Some are identical to the people that are still in Babylon, right? They've never come out. They're, they've never been delivered from their captivity. They've never received the forgiveness and the freedom that Jesus Christ came to give us on the cross through his blood. And so they're stuck there. But the 50,000 that came out, God set them free. My guess is there's a higher percentage of people here that have been set free. You're, you're out, you're not in captivity anymore. You know, you're, you're walking, you're, you're, you're in Jerusalem, and there's a pile of rubble in the middle of the town, and there's a foundation laid. And you're just going on with life, saying, man, it's just not time to build that yet. It's just not time to build that. I, I don't know if I should build that now, but God's telling you now is the time. Today is the day. Right now is the time to start building the temple. Now, here's the illustration. We don't have a temple that we're building. A lot of people take this passage and they, they use it to build their buildings. You know, we're, we're building a building. We're building the kingdom of God. We've been given instruction by Jesus. And Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples. Baptizing them, teaching them, all the things that I've said to you. So he, he didn't limit it to make sure your theology is 100% correct. He said, just do what I'm telling you to do. Just take what you know and give it back to somebody else and start investing in somebody else's life. He's given us the instruction. But like these people, some of us are, are, are living like we don't have it yet. We're just waiting for him to give us a little bit more instruction. But here's what I know about God. It, although he will repeat himself over and over and over again, you're never going to move forward until you start doing what he already told you to do. Right? He wants you to just step into what he's calling you to do. If he has a plan for our life, and he does, then he gets to tell us what we're supposed to be doing, right? So he's the authority. And, you know, submission or surrender to that authority is really what he's asking us for. So this morning, you know where you're at. You know if you're walking on that path and you have taken the tools that God's given you and you're using them to build his kingdom, you know. And if you're not, here's the awesome thing. You can start today. You know, God said 18 years after they were disobedient, he didn't say, I'm done with you guys. No, he's not done with you. He wants to use you. And what I'm telling you, if you'll step into it today, you'll see an amazing You'll see amazing life that God has for you. It's not going to be trouble-free, and it's not going to be without any kind of warfare. But here's what I will tell you. 
the faithfulness, as you continue to walk with the Lord, you will see amazing things in your life, things that you could have never seen had you not chosen to walk that path. And so each one of us has a decision to make today, just like these people did. How am I going to respond to God's word? How, what, what am I going to do with what God has instructed me to do here today? And so I trust God that he will speak to you. I trust the Holy Spirit is in this place right now. And I trust that there's going to be people that are going to step into what God's called them to do. And I am excited for you. I can't wait to hear the testimonies of what God does through you as you step into him right now. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for speaking directly to our hearts this morning, Lord. We thank you that you love us that much that you wouldn't hold anything back. Lord, we love you so much. We thank you for all that you've done in our lives. Lord, many of us in this room have, have, have given you our lives and, and we're on our journey. And yet this morning, Lord, maybe there's something missing for some of us. And maybe it's we haven't been obedient to your, your instruction in our lives and we are not operating in the power that we've been given. So I just want to pray right now, Lord, that you will see the heart of your people here right now. Those who are crying out to you, God, that's me, and I want to turn myself over to you now. Lord, you see the heart of every person here today. And if there are things that are hindering them from moving forward, if there are sins in their lives, Lord, if they're not all in, will you give them that ability this morning to walk in the commitment of, of turning over everything to you? We don't need to go and tell everybody our deepest, darkest secrets, but you know them already, and so we're going to tell you this morning, Lord. Take these things from me, God. I want to be set free. I want to live the life that you're calling me to live. I want to build your kingdom. I want to build for you, Jesus. Fill me with power today. Give me the reassurance that you're with me. God, if you're with me, then that means you're for me. And if you're for me, who can be against me, Lord? Help me commit myself to you. Lord, maybe there's some here today that don't know you at all, and you see their heart too, and you, you see the brokenness, and you see the, 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 the yearning to want to be set free, but, but maybe the, the, the lack of, of understanding or the lack of willingness to turn over to you. Will you fill them with, with, with faith this morning to believe you, to trust you that you have a way better life? Jesus, you said for those who desire to keep their life will lose it. But those who lose their life for my sake will find it. Today I want to turn my life over to you, God. I want to give you everything that I am. Will you forgive me? Will you help me? Will you strengthen me? Will you fill me? Will you reconcile me to yourself? Will you bring forgiveness in my life? And will you fill me with your spirit today and make me a Christian? It's that prayer, Lord. The prayer of making Jesus king that he died for me. He rose again from the dead for me. It's the sincerity of heart that you care about. Will you come now and move in this place, Lord? We thank you. We love you for, for who you are, Lord. And we also thank you so much for all that you've done. In Jesus' name, amen. We Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.